All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. As you guys gather back to your seats, I will pray. So good to have this little fellowship break. Unless you're really introverted, then I guess this is the, the scariest three minutes of your life every week. But it's a great time to hear everybody talking and fellowshipping and getting together and connecting and hopefully building friendships that are outside of these walls and um, in our community. So I'm going to pray as we get started here. So Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these Sunday mornings g- gatherings that we can get together with people we love and people we have never met, but we will begin to love and care for. And I just ask that you would continue to uh, move in this place and Maranatha congregation, Lord, and all the people's lives that you would fill them with your spirit of, of hope and peace and joy in their lives, Lord, that they would have a community of, of uh, believers around them that will encourage them and strengthen them and um, build each other up, Lord. We pray for this time together as we get into your word. I pray that you would humble us this morning, Lord, with your word, that you would teach us, give us wisdom, give us peace in the things that we don't understand fully, and that you would just be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we are in week three of our Ecclesiastes message. And so I, when Pastor Brian told us that we were doing Ecclesiastes, I knew we were only going to do it for a couple of weeks. We we're only doing it for four weeks. So I thought, oh, good, okay, I'll just, I'll just let Brian preach. I'm not going to preach any messages. I'll just sit back on this one. And then, lo and behold, here I am, week three, teaching from Ecclesiastes. And so one of the reasons why I just was kind of like uncomfortable with Ecclesiastes is because the book takes you to a place that sometimes you don't really want to go, where it takes you to an uncomfortable place. It's kind of a wilderness of the mind. We talk about wilderness a lot in the Bible. And if you read through the Bible, especially the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, they're in a wilderness for 40 years. And we get to the book of Ecclesiastes Solomon kind of takes you to a place that you're not really sure where you're going. Where are we? What are we doing here? We're wandering around trying to figure things out. There's a lot of things in this wilderness that we can't quite control and quite understand. And so I just didn't really want to get into it myself because I didn't really want to get taken to that place of confusion because I wanted some just solid answers. But as we're reading it, I really felt like the Lord gave me a few things this week that talk about things that we can control. There's a lot of things that we cannot control. There's a lot of places that we go that we didn't ask to go to, and we find ourselves in, and things happen to us that we didn't ask for and we couldn't control. But as I was reading through this, I I thought of some things that we can control, okay? And so the title of my message today is, You Can Control Your Faithfulness. You can control your faithfulness to the Lord. My other title for Ecclesiastes 7 through 9 is this, wise words to try and live by, but even if you do live by them, things still might not go as you would like, but still be faithful no matter what happens because God is faithful, but it might not always feel like he is, but still be faithful anyways. Good luck. So there's that. All right, so what can we control? What can I control? So I thought about that phrase and that question as I was going through this chapter, and I just wanted to uh, share with you through 7, 8, and 9. But before we jump into that, uh, we, we, we know that the book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, King Solomon, and a little bit about his life. Back, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 2, you see his father David, King David, is giving his son Solomon, who's about to be king, 
these famous dying words, these last words. And he's like, Solomon, when you're king, here's two things I really want you to do. Make sure that you fear God and that you keep his commandments. Okay, Solomon, it's that easy. Okay, you're in control of this, Solomon. Just fear the Lord, worship him, and obey him. Okay, Solomon? Yeah, dad, sounds great. Now, did Solomon do this? Did he fear God? Did he keep the Lord's commandments? No, there's a lot of things he broke the Lord's commandments. And then if you go and read 1 Kings 11, which is the end of Solomon's life, just a couple chapters later, at the end of Solomon's life in, in 1 Kings 11, we see that Solomon broke all of the commands from Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, which were specific commands given to the kings of Israel that, hey, the kings need to do these things. And I have that verse, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20 says this. Oh, yeah, let's get that. The king must not build up large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself. Solomon did this. Because they will turn his heart away from the Lord, and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Solomon did that. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself his body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. So Solomon did not obey all these commands. He broke them. He had many wives. He accumulated many wealth. Uh, he accumulated a large amount of horses for his army. Uh, he didn't fully give his heart to the Lord like his father, David. And so now we're reading from this guy who we know messed up. We're reading a book of Ecclesiastes that's in the Bible, and we're reading from this this man who's at the end of his life now. And so I'm kind of like, well, why are, we, why are we listening to this guy? Like, he didn't fully obey the Lord. He didn't fully listen to these commands. Like, why are we listening to him? Well, basically, the tone of Ecclesiastes is, hey, don't do what I did, all right? As a young man, Solomon messed up. He didn't listen to his wise words of King David, who would have kept him from many troubles. And now, 40 years later, um, or, or so, at his deathbed, Solomon's like, look, I'm going to give you the same commands my father gave me. <laughs> I didn't quite obey them fully, but fear God and keep his commandments is what you see in Ecclesiastes, especially next week in Ecclesiastes 12. You see that specifically where Solomon says that. So what can we then control? Solomon could have controlled himself. He could have controlled uh, and, and been obedient to the things that he was called to be obedient to, but he did not. So as we read Ecclesiastes 7 through 9, I'm going to read a little bit and stop and reflect on it and talk about these things of what we can control. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 1 through 14 first. And this is the Proverbs found in Ecclesiastes. And so there's this right here. When you read it, it feels like you're in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs was also written by Solomon. So you see here kind of each little truth and each little wisdom. And let's reflect on this. And as we do, um, we're just going to rush, you know, kind of rush through it real quickly. But I encourage you to take time later and read these 
And what you could do is you could pick one of these each day, and you can kind of reflect on it, think about it. But there's a lot here, and I, I found this all to be, you know, true. And so I'm going to read it, and then we'll, we'll keep going. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you are born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. By the way, the, the children over there are reading the same scriptures here this morning. And uh, I wrote the curriculum for them. And um, hopefully they're, I've already had a couple of teachers come to me this morning and say, thanks a lot. So, well, <laughs> good luck. Everyone dies, kids. Sorrow is better than laughter. For sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This also is meaningless. Extortion turns wise people into fools, and bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Wisdom is even better than you have money. Uh, wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are benefits as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Except the way God does things. For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember, Nothing is certain in this life. So right there, that last phrase, nothing is certain in this life. We don't have much control in life, do we? We don't have much control in life. There's a lot of things we cannot control, probably more things we cannot control than we can control. But for all my control freaks out there, let's talk about things we can control. And we'll return back to the subject of not being able to control things near the end. So, what can we control? All right, let's keep reading, and we'll point out some things we can control. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven fifteen through 29. This is a part where there's limits of human wisdom. Yes, we just had a lot of wisdom there given to us, but there's a lot of limitations to human wisdom. I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Let's pause there. Now this phrase, uh, the death of good young people and the long life of the wicked people. This is something very confusing and all of you probably have somebody that you can mention in this, right? Where you mention somebody, yes, this person died way too young. And it's tragic. And then you look at another person and be like, that guy's 98 years old. He's still living and he's so wicked. Like, golly, what the heck's going on? Like, I thought this guy would last a lot longer. But, you know, it's, so these things don't really, we can't control that, can we? Even if you are a really good person and you love the Lord and you serve him, that's not guaranteed a long life on this earth. And so this can be really kind of confusing. So, uh, I was reminded of a parable that Jesus shared kind of about this idea of, of um, fearing the Lord. Like we're talking about fearing God, like obeying him and fearing him. So a parable in Luke 18 that Jesus shares specifically to the Pharisees, he says this in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. 
Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. As he prayed, instead he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, if Solomon had this parable, which he didn't, but if he did, and he was fitting it into Ecclesiastes, let me tell you how Solomon would finish this parable, all right? So listen to this. Just imagine Solomon saying this. The next day, the sinner who had been justified by God and the tax collector went again to the temple to pray. But on the way there, the sinner was beaten and killed by robbers. The Pharisee was able to get away. When the Pharisee arrived at the temple to pray, he looked up to God and said, see, I knew I was the righteous one. Like, right? Like that's, that's a terrible posture that this Pharisee has taken. But that's what he's saying is like he, in his mind, he is right. And then he justifies it by looking at a person who was right in the Lord's eyes, righteous, and he died early. We see this at the very, very beginning of scripture, don't we? Genesis 4, what happens? The very, very beginning, Cain kills Abel. Who was the good guy in the story? Who was the righteous one before the Lord? Abel, but he died young. And Cain, at his hands, took his life. And so it's, it's all the way back to the very beginning. And so we can't control some of this, right? There's a lot of things we, we're out of our control. But what can we control in this uh, idea here? Well, this is it. You can control your posture towards God. You can control your posture towards God. You could either approach God as the Pharisee and be like, I am so right, aren't I, God? Come on, give it to me. <laughs> like, you come into time of worship and you're like, come on, God, sing over me. Like, ooh, that's a, that's a scary, yeah, that's crazy. Ooh, my gosh, can you imagine being like that? But you can control, you can come before the Lord and humble yourself, lower yourself, get on your knees, get on your hands and feet and, and say, Lord, you're in control. You're in control. And so you can control your posture towards God. Next, let's keep reading in Ecclesiastes 7, 19. One wise person is stronger than 10 leading citizens of a town. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you, for you know how often you yourself have cursed others. So you might not be able to control what other people say about you. However, you can control what you say about other people. You could do everything right for somebody, and they could still talk bad about you. You just got to be okay with that, right? As long as you know that you're doing things that are right, things for the Lord, they still might not fully understand. And I think a lot of you have been there. I, I see it right now on your faces. You're like, yeah, yeah, stories are coming up. You can't control what other people are going to say about you, and just be okay with that, okay? And so you can't control how you treat other people, what you say about other people, all right, we good? Let's keep going. Uh, verse 23. I have always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and that foolishness is 
madness. Let's keep going. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap more bitter than death. Remember, this is Solomon speaking. Her passion is a snare and her soft hands are chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but the sinners will be caught in her snare. Now remember Solomon, what happened with him is that in, in 1 Kings 11, 4, it said that he had many wives and his wives turned his heart from God. And so he's speaking here from experience about letting um, someone else kind of take control of his desire for the Lord and his faithfulness to the Lord. And then verse 29 says, but I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. And so you can't control whether or not people obey God, but you can control whether or not you will obey God. You can control whether or not you're going to be obedient to the Lord and to his word. All right, let's jump down and uh, keep going here. A couple more things we can control. Let's go to uh, Ecclesiastes 8, 9 through 17, the wicked and the righteous. Some similar ideas and stories that Solomon's getting at where you cannot control the wicked, uh, what they do, but the Lord is the judge. The Lord will determine what wicked people and what righteous people do. He's the judge. And in the end, What's going to happen is that he will separate. And Jesus gives a parable of this in Matthew 25, the parable of the, the, the lamb uh, and the goats. You can go read that. So let's read Ecclesiastes 8, 9 through 17. I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. I have seen wicked people buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. Kind of sounds like that parable of the Pharisee. This too is meaningless. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it as is safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. Have you ever felt this? Have you ever been there where you're the one that's striving, you're obedient to the Lord, you're fearing him, you feel like you have a good posture towards the Lord and obedience and humility to him, and you look around and the world that's not giving themselves to the Lord is thriving. And you're like, what is happening? And you feel like you're suffering and you feel like you're so confused. You're in this wilderness of the mind. You just can't quite control and quite figure it out. You cannot look at the surface of a situation, right? If something's happening and it looks like, wow, that person's got it all together. But really, you can't see that on the surface. You really got to dig deeper into what, what's going on in their life, in their heart, and talk to them and see what's actually happening. And you can realize, oh, they don't have it. They may look like they have it all together, but they don't have it all together. So you can control. Here's another thing you can control. You can control the way you view others. All right? So what does God say in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7? He says, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge the appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Talking about Saul. The Lord doesn't see, or not Saul, I'm sorry, he talks about uh, David's brothers that he was trying to anoint to the new king. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. 
People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So you can really, uh, you may not be able to see the heart a lot, and it may take some work to really discern people's hearts. Um, Matthew 12, 34, which is an easy verse to memorize, Matthew, because it's 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, says, for the, for the mouth speaks of the overflow of the heart. So if you really want to get to know somebody's heart, just start talking to them, and they're going to spill it all out, and then you're going to find out what's in their heart, is because the mouth is connected to the heart. And so uh, you can control how you view others and, and not see things from the surface level, but really dig deep into what's going on. All right, let's keep going. So I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. The way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. Verse 16 and 17. In my search for wisdom and in my observation for people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realized that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything no matter what they claim. Now, let's pause here for a minute. <laughs> this is coming from Solomon, who was known as the wisest person to ever live at this time. And he's talking about God. And he's saying, look, I've searched and searched, but not one person can know everything about God. So if you come across somebody in your journey here in the faith, and you come across somebody and they, they presume to know everything about God. Like, wow, this person's really knowledgeable about God. And they feel, you feel like they know everything about God. They don't, all right? And don't fall into that trap of like going to that person, hey, I need you to tell me what's God doing? Like if they're like a, a, a genie in a bottle or like a, a fortune teller, what's, what's God doing, Mr. God, uh, man who knows everything about God? Like he doesn't know everything about God, all right? This is terrifying because here I am up here, Talking, talking about God, and I'm just one person, and this is a really terrifying thought to share about God, and I don't know everything about God, right? Do you ever like to talk about things that you don't really know about? You kind of feel like a fake? You know, you ask you, someone asks you a question about something, you just like, you just fake it, like, oh yeah, I know everything about the, you know, cars and, and things like that, and no, that's John. John's the, no, the car guy. And so if, somebody, if I got a conversation about cars, I would just be like trying to fake it till I make it, right? And so here I am. I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not trying to fake it right now. <laughs> You're like, what's, what's going on? But I am trying to be faithful to what I do know, and that's all I can give you is what I've witnessed, what I've shared. And you, congregation, you have uh, ears to hear what the Lord's doing. You have eyes to see what God's doing. You have a mouth to share what's, what's God's doing. So it's not just one person who gives everything about God. And here it, is, here it is, everybody. Thank you for coming. Here's everything to know about God. It's all of us as a community together talking about God. There's times as a youth pastor when we're sharing about the word of God and we're sharing things in Bible study and, and I got a youth that uh, brings something up about it. They're like, have you seen this? I'm like, no, I haven't seen that. That's, a, like, that's awesome. Like, I learn from the youth. I learn. We learn from each other. It's not about age and wisdom. It's, it's about just getting together and sharing what we do know about God, sharing our testimonies, sharing what the Lord's done in our own lives together. That's how we're going to encourage and build each other up. And that takes some of you to start talking about God, okay? You fear God too much. Like, it's okay. Just talk about it, okay? Talk about what the Lord's doing in your own life. People need to hear what you have to say about God. So, <clears throat> So 
we might not be able to know everything about God, but we are going to try, right? We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to seek him. So you can control how much effort you put into seeking God. Don't not seek God just because you're like, well, I can't learn everything about him, so I'm out (laughs) because I want to know everything about God. And if I can't know everything about God, I just don't want to know anything about God. No, like put in effort. You are in control to seek the Lord. Matthew 6, 25 through 34 is, it the, is, is Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than, uh, to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, hey, there he is, in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. So with that verse, you can control whether or not you are consumeristic. If you're gonna be like, you know what? I'm gonna, I want everything. I want this and that and this and that. So you can control whether or not you are consumeristic. That's our, verse six, or no verse six. There you go, there you go, okay. Thank you, Bree. Good enough for Bree, Satcher. Bree, Satcher. Filling in today. So you can't control whether or not you're going to try to get it like, on, like Matthew uh, 6 said, like you're trying to worry so much about all these things in this, in this life. And so there's a book that we read over the summer uh, by Mark Sayers called Reappearing Church. And here's a quote from that book. It says this, consumer culture disciples us to change our external situation through purchasing to bring pleasure, meaning, and happiness to our inner world. Contending takes the opposite approach. Personal renewal begins in the hidden places, often driven by solitary prayer and self-examination, communion with God, fasting, and the habits of secrecy, the uprooting of sinful patterns and confessions with trusted leaders and pastors. Eventually, this interchange of the heart will overflow into our external lives, creating a potential for renewal in the social world around us. This is the idea of of getting before the Lord, seeking him, taking control and and putting yourself in the word of God daily, seeking him in prayer, seeking him through these disciplines of of, of fasting, of simplicity, of of getting together and and worshiping and, and spending time in the Lord. You can control how much time you spend in the Lord. And here's a bonus one you can control how long you scroll on social media, (laughs) right? You can. And so a lot of times social media will just take our attention and try to turn us into this consumer mindset of wanting all this stuff because the world revolves around me. So you can control that. All right, let's quickly go through chapter nine. And I have like one more thing to say about what you can control. And then we're gonna um, pray about the things we can't control. All right, let's go. This too, I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hand, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny 
ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonial clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, good people receive the same treatment as sinners and people who make promises to God and treated like, are treated like people who don't. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That is why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyways. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothing with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well, for when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy, and those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. All right, so there's a lot there that you cannot control. A lot of things, if you were look back on there and you're like, yep, we can't control this, we can't control that. One thing we can control, and I'm going to give a little shout out now. i got some, uh, Ryan Pettis is back there. And, uh, I did control my destiny in fantasy football this year. We have, if you didn't know, we have an official Maranatha fantasy football dynasty league. And it's been going for 18 years. And I won season 17. And I won season 18. And so I didn't bring my trophy, but this is the plaque that goes on my trophy. And it's been in my house ever since uh, last season. And so um, I'm pretty proud of that. Now, if you know anything about fantasy football, you can control a little bit, but there's really a lot more out of your control. And you're just sitting there hoping, please get a touchdown. Yay! No, get a touchdown. No, you got a touchdown. And that's all you can do. You can set your lineup, and that's about it. But somehow, I won back to back champions. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. Because it's kind of meaningless, <laughs> right? It's not a money league. I didn't win any money or anything. So it was just like, bra I mean, this is the meaning I have right now for this, is I could share with you that I won. All right. I don't know why. I just felt like fitting that in there. there. All right. So, um, so it, all right, looking back at this that we just read, people can never predict when hard times might come. One thing, <laughs> really uncertain in life, right? We don't really know what's going to happen there. So can we control this? No. Can God control this? Can God control whether or not what, what things happen? Yes. Does he? Yes. Does he control everyone's decisions in this life under the sun? No. Does he reward sinners with good even though they do evil? N no. But sinners still can experience God's goodness while under the sun, can't they? Yeah, so what's the point of doing good for God if both sinners and the righteous die in the end? Well, because both sinners and the righteous won't always live under the sun. There is something more than just this life under the sun. There is eternal life after death. And both sinners and the righteous must give an account of all the things that they've done with, with their time under the sun. 
So, <clears throat> one more phrase here in Ecclesiastes, and then we're going to go into a time of prayer. It says this, here's another bit of wisdom that has impressed me. As I have watched the way our world works, there was a small town with only a few people, and a great king came with his army and besieged it. A poor wise man knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. But afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. What they say will not be appreciated for long. So, You cannot control how people react to what you do. But you can control, to your best ability, doing what is right in every circumstance. You can control, to your best ability, doing what is right in every circumstance. So in summary of all this, in these chapters and Ecclesiastes, is is back to the beginning, is that you can control your faithfulness to God. You can control whether or not you're going to be obedient You're going to control whether or not you will take the word of God, all of it, not just the book of Ecclesiastes, because if you just read the book of Ecclesiastes, you would probably be in trouble, but the entire book of the Bible, you're going to internalize the scripture. You're going to read it. You're going to meditate on it. You're going to study it. You're going to gain the wisdom that God's given you, and you're going to be faithful and hope that other people around you will come to know the Lord through your faithfulness in the Lord and not come to know you better, but come to know the Lord better. And you're in control of staying faithful until the end. Staying faithful until the end. So in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this phrase a lot, what I've observed under the sun. This is a phrase that he uses many, many, many times. But humans here, we're, we're limited to this space under the sun, aren't we? We're limited to our, what we can see under the sun. But God's word here gives us an eternal heavenly perspective that breaks through that sun in the sky and we can see what the Lord's doing. He's actually broken through. He's rended the heavens, Isaiah 64. He's rended the heavens. He's broken the skies. He's come, Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation of God, Jesus, has said, here is what God is doing. And he's communicating to you humans. And so we're not limited just under the sun anymore. It's been broken open through what Jesus has done for us. And we can now have an eternal heavenly perspective in what the Lord is doing. So don't get caught up in your life under the sun and just see things from under here. Ask the Lord over and over again, Lord, I'm getting caught under the sun. I need you to break open and give me a new perspective a heavenly perspective. So if you would come up and and, um, lead us, Kayla. And as she comes, we're going to go to one last scripture. And what I want to do here is I want to read Revelation 4. And you can read along with me, but really I want to read it in a a way that if you want to close your eyes while I read it, you can. Because what Revelation 4 and 5 does is it gives us a perspective of the throne room of God. That it allows us to see God's throne room. <laughs> this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't fake. Like This is the throne room of God in Revelation 4. And we need to dwell in that place even while we're here under the sun. We can be in this throne room with the Lord while we're here under the sun. And we need to do that because there's a lot of things that we can get caught up in our vision of seeing and, and, and it drains our hope. When we just look at things under the sun, what's happening 
And you just, if you just read Ecclesiastes by itself without anything else, you would just be like, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of bad things here. There's a lot of things out of my control. Yeah. But we do know that the Lord is in control. And I, wanna, I say that with faith and hope. Lord is in control. You might not always feel like that, but he is in control. And so when we read Revelation 4, we do see God in operation in his throne room. God's not worried. God's not upset. God's not sitting there twiddling his thumbs. God's not anxiously scratching and itching and, what do I do now? That's not God. God is in complete control. And so I'm going to read Revelation 4, and then I want to pray. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. No longer looking just under the sun, I'm looking above it. Open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So Lord, here we are, your creatures that you've created, that you've placed on this earth. You didn't put us here on this earth and say, well, it's pretty hard down there. Good luck with all that you try to do under the sun. (laughs) I'm up here and you're down there. No, God, you have given us the keys to the kingdom through Jesus Christ. You have allowed us to enter into this place with you. You've allowed us to enter into this holy place at your throne where we can come before you, not with pride and not with our own ability to say who we are and how righteous. We've come before you humbly seeking you, Lord. We come before you with our hearts in need and desiring you, God. We come before you with fear and trembling, Lord. We come before you in need of hope, of joy, of peace. We come before you in need of perspective that only you can give us. 
Jesus, help us. Help us to stay faithful to you. I want to pray specifically. There's a phrase that the Lord uh, reminded me of yesterday, all day long. And it's this phrase that uh, I've heard, and I just wanted to pray this over you, uh, specifically for people, all of us really, that there's things that have happened to us in our life that, we, that are out of our control. There's things that have happened to us that other people have done to us that's out of our control. We didn't ask for it. We didn't say, hey, I'll take that. No, there's lots of things that have happened to us. There's things that have happened in our family's history line that we cannot control. It happened before we were even born. There's things that our, our parents and our grandparents have done that uh, we hear about and we couldn't control that, but it's in our family line. There's things that have happened to us specifically. There's, there's deaths that happened around us and we, we were so out of control in these things and we didn't know how to, how to handle it. And I wanna pray in this phrase I wanna to give to us and it's a phrase that's meant to encourage and heal you if you're struggling with this feeling of, I just couldn't control, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do this, uh, uh, stressing out. I wanna say this, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Those things that have happened against you, it's not your fault. Our mind does weird things and twists and turn and think, oh, it's because I did this sin that this bad thing happened to me. It's not your fault. There's some things that are our fault. We can admit to those. We do. We repent of those things that are our faults. But there's a lot of, th- there's a lot of things that have happened to you in your life. It's not your fault. But we're here together <laughs> under the sun. This is who we have right now in this history right now. <laughs> we have each other to encourage one another, to pray for each other, and that's what we like to do. And so if you need prayer, um, we're going to have people praying. And actually, just everyone, go ahead and, go ahead and stand up, if you, if you will, if you want to. And as we go into this uh, time of, of prayer here, there are people that will pray for you. I believe they're, they're going in the back here. Brian's up here. Go up, come up front, actually. And so, and if also if there's somebody next to you and you're just like, hey, I, I, I want you to pray for me or can I pray for you? Then just do that while you're sitting down. So Lord, bless us in this time together. Minister to our broken hearts. Put us back together in Jesus' name.